is my complete and total honor to have this conversation with Jill Robinson. I'm Dr. Susan Eyrick. I'm the founder and executive director of Earth Fire Institute. We're a wildlife sanctuary and retreat center located near Grand Teton National Park in the northern Rocky Mountains near Yellowstone. And we have animals here often for life and have gotten to know them intimately. I met Jill, Dr. Jill Robinson, executive director and founder of Animals Asia. We're speaking halfway across the world with her. And I originally met Jill at a conference called Minding Animals International in New Delhi. She was giving a talk on her work with sun bears and I was just blown away. I was blown away by the beauty of what she did, by the courage of what she did, by the power of what she did. You'll probably hear me say this again throughout the conversation, but she illustrates the power of one person, the power of compassion and the power of a small group. I was talking about animal individuality at New Delhi um, because that's what I get to do more. And she was talking about her rescue work, but among there, in among the rescue work was her also exquisite knowledge of these bears as she got to rescue them. So Jill, the thing that impressed me most first was the story of how you got started, if you wouldn't mind sharing that. <laughs> it's probably one of the most um, difficult answers of all. You know, I think it's easy to talk about how we look after the bears and, and the role that we play in, in Asia. But when you talk about your personal experiences, it brings it to a sort of a different level. But um, it, it's no secret, I think, to many people um, that you know one individual animal and as you know Susan the individual is, is so important um, and should be recognized in the way that we recognize our own individuality and this one individual changed everything about my life from the mid-1980s after moving out here to Hong Kong and China and it was in 1993 that I got a call from a journalist friend of mine who said that he'd just come back from one of these notorious bear bile farms in China. And um, my interest was piqued. I, I just wanted to go over there and have a look um, at what bear farming really meant. And so I joined a tour group of Japanese and Taiwanese tourists, went over, um, found myself on this bear farm where the farmer and his wife were trying to sell bear bile from the shop, um, away, away from the other bears. But my friend had already told me where the caged bears could be found on this farm. So I broke away from the I stepped into basement. Literally just came across my own horror story. It it was just the most awful thing I'd ever seen. Um, bears were just held completely captive so that they couldn't move in tiny wire cages. They had scars running the length of their bodies. They had, you know, broken and missing teeth from bar biting and frustration and pain. Um, I could see that they had catheters protruding from their abdomens from where their bile was taken and at one point a bear just reached out and touched my shoulder and as I turned around in shock because I'd obviously got too close to the cage um, I was expecting to be hurt and actually I just came across the most gentle soul with her paw literally just softly reaching through the bars and inviting me to take her hand and that's exactly what I did. And, um, and it, you know, the message was obviously very, very clear. And, and as I said at the beginning, it changed everything. I left that farm really knowing that I would never be able to help her. And I never saw her again. 
and I, I, I do hope that she's passed away because I, I still can't, I can't bear the fact that she's still suffering so many years later, but she began everything. She began the China Bear Rescue. She began where we are today with two sanctuaries, one in China, one in Vietnam, the rescue of over 600 bears and a pledge and a promise to carry her name and end bear bar farming once and for all. Yeah, the personal is difficult, but it is what motivates us in the end. Right, right, it, it is, it is very much. It, I know the motivation was clear, Susan, the focus was very clear and it really, it really set myself on a path. And, and you know, of course, the others in the, in, in the, the founders of Animals Asia as well. Um, Boris is still with us to this day. Um, he's with, heads up our program in China. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a path that's seen a massive amount of change over these years and progress, I have to say, as well. So we're just, we're really proud with how the program's going. And most of all, I feel that we're delivering on the promise that I made to that bear all those years ago and helping the bears that she left behind. So you've saved over 600 bears. Right. Yeah. In China and Vietnam. And... Um, it, it's really nice to say that our sanctuaries have been given the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries Award um, for obviously the way that we manage and operate those sanctuaries. So it's a global recognition. And, um, you know, just for me, these are places of great peace and harmony and great progress too. We have fantastic teams on both sites. And, you know, our veterinary teams especially have seen things that people you know, really should never see in their lifetimes. And they've seen it over and over and over again with what we call broken bears. These are animals that are affected so egregiously, so cruelly, both physically and psychologically, that it just makes you wonder how they can ever, ever recover. Um, but the majority surprisingly do recover and go on to lead, you know, healthy and happy lives. They will always have a consequence of bear farming, you know, whether they are blind, whether they are missing limbs, whether they're missing multiple teeth, um, whether they've got heart problems, whether they die of cancer, which about 40% of our bears ultimately do die of liver cancer. But their lives have meaning. Um, our goal is to help them and at the end of their lives when we can give them that piece of release. So, you know, it, it's an extremely program, and, you know, that, that we run charismatic and I don't know if you can hear it or not but as you were talking about the beauty of what you're doing all of our wolves started to howl can you hear it across the oceans and I wondered what that was oh my goodness oh my goodness wow. there they are wow that's that's yeah that's beautiful They do that when we talk about yeah, something. There's a connection. I, lo I love, you know, the theme of new organizations. Uh, one of the things that struck me was that um, it's beautiful. Wow. that bear reached out to you and this whole chain of events of all of your success in rescuing so many bears. And I'd like you to talk in a minute about the progress you've made in China and Vietnam. But the first thing that strikes me so strongly is that that bear started all of this, reaching out to you, and then you took it and ran with it. And that possible 
connection between animals asking for help and humans responding is so powerful. If only we could listen more and more of us do that. Um, it's just astounding. What, another thing I wanted to ask you when you're, if you're able to talk about it, is how you deal with the, the pain of seeing that and, and seeing the bears like that and taking them out and getting the vet care and, and then continuing year after year after you've been doing this for some 20 years now? Uh, nearly 30, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think again, our, our focus is getting those bears well. Is Number one is removing their pain. We all know what pain is, a sentient, you know, emotionally aware species. And, and that's our focus with the, with the bears as well, to stop their pain. And I, you know, I think that's what, what helps us through. Um, we know now what the, the pathology is. We know what the, the problems are for these bears. And we know, I think, how quite quickly to relieve them of their pain and, and, their, and their problems and their symptoms and, and help them to move into a, a life that is not only satisfying to them, but gives them joy as well. And we're able to integrate them with other members of, of the species that come in. You know, we have what we call bear bundles of play outside in the enclosure. Um, and, and there's nothing more joyful than seeing bears playing in, in, in giddy, you know, balls of play in their swimming pools or on their climbing frames in the grass or just simply sneaking amongst the clover. You know, they have the choice. They have what they never, never had on the bear bar farms. They can choose to do whatever they like to do during the day. So, you know, that's how we can get through our own personal trauma. And, and the fact that just being professionals, frankly, you know, we know as soon as they come in, we have a job to do. So we put our emotions behind and we get on with that job. And then afterwards we have time to kick walls or cry or do whatever we want to do to deal with that, you know, that trauma that we've just been seeing. Um, but our main focus at that time is how can we help those bears? There's a, there's a wonderful lady that I remember who died a couple of years ago. She was a real bear expert, Elsa Paulson, and she headed up the bear care group. And, and she was the most amazing woman and, and such a good friend. And her sort of philosophy was looking at bears, she would always just say, who are you and how can I help you? And, and I've sort of carried that philosophy on as well, because you just have to look at an animal for a little while to you know, understand what they need from you and how you can help them. It's painful, but profoundly rich what you're doing. I wanted to ask you that question because I, you know, we have people who are feeling overwhelmed by what's happening all around the world. And I'm saying you can be overwhelmed, but you also could do things under the most impossible circumstances. And you've actually begun to change the whole approach um, in China and Vietnam towards this cultural thing. You, you weren't just, you're not just saving individual bears, you're changing attitudes which can save untold numbers of bears in the future. Well, I think it's the easiest thing in the world to, you know, point a finger at another country or another culture and say, you know, we find this distasteful, you really shouldn't be doing it. And, that, and that's obviously not the way to do it. You know, it's something that, you know, we learned very quickly in the early days to embrace a culture, to bring them in to an understanding of why we do what we do and to turn it around into something that becomes their project. So in both countries, you know, the sanctuaries are run by a great many Chinese and Vietnamese 
um, staff and who, who take great pride and pleasure and joy in everything that they do towards our end goal of ending bear bar farming and indeed overseeing and looking after those bears as well. So it's really important to have these people that work with you as spokespeople for the project as well, so that they can talk to their family, their friends, their peers, the media, the Chinese media, the Vietnamese media in those countries to really articulate why they do what they do and why it is important for us to recognize the sentience in animals and, and the harmony that we should be living amongst them. So. That's what I think I find one of the most satisfying things about this job is really, you know, it, it's, it's a buzzword, it's capacity training, but it has a very deep sense behind capacity training. How did you do that? Um, I mean, just by bringing people in as soon as we began, as soon as we began working in China, obviously we were bringing in the local community to help us. We were bringing in translators to help bridge that gap of conversation. And we, we're also very big on promotion, of course, as well. So when, for example, staff come in to help, you know, clean out the bears, um, they very quickly get promoted into, you know, from one in charge, two in charge, three in charge, four in charge to, you know, bear supervisors, bear managers, etc. So that again, they have the pride of their work. Um, and, and, you know, they can, they can very quickly rise up the ranks of Animals Asia and be responsible for areas of the sanctuary and be able to talk about that again to the media when they come on site and of course to our supporters, not just in China and Vietnam, but from around the world as well. When we chatted before and when I heard you too, you would talk about some of the qualities of the bears that you saw. You're talking about their stoicism. Do you mind sharing some of the beautiful things you've observed about these bears? Oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's two stories really. There was, there was a bear called Oliver um, that many of our supporters know. Uh, he was came on a bear file farm in Shandong province in China for 30 years of his life. So for 30 years, he had no choices. He only had food when it was basically thrown at him. He never, never had free access to water. He had nothing to play with. He only had bars to lie on, unrelenting bars for his old, old body to lie on during those later years in his 30-year lifespan. And um, when we rescued him, he was, I think, the bear that we termed the phrase broken bear because he, he was just shattered. And we weren't even sure if we were going to help him, be able to save him. Um, and it was along the trip home back to Chengdu. It was about a three-day journey, a 2,000-mile trip. And um, halfway along, he began to suffer severe problems. And our vet team knew they just had to anesthetize him and get him out and just see what was going on because we were pretty sure it was to do with his gallbladder and the method of bile extraction and the surgical mutilation that he'd suffered on the bear bile farm. Um, so we stopped the car, we stopped the trucks and we got the most amazing support from the local police, the Chinese police, from the Chinese hospital in this remote area. I can't even remember the name of the place where we stopped now. And the, they, the doctors and the nurses just came out in their white coats. They brought out oxygen for our veterinary staff. They, they, they brought out 
here to warm everybody up. They, they couldn't have been more kind and more helpful. And here, you know, they have this huge brown bear lying in front of their, and, you know, obviously sleeping anesthetic, but they'd never seen anything like this in their life. And our vet team went in perfectly and found this awful uh, metal ring that had been used to um, attach his gallbladder to the top of his abdomen. And it was attached to his liver and it, and it was just so badly adhesed to all the organs. And our vet team spent hours you know, releasing that, getting that metal ring out of his abdomen or bladder. And because what we hadn't known is when we arrived at their farm, the farmer had just ripped the, the, um, the full metal jacket that held everything in place off of his body. And, um, and so that was what had caused his trauma. And they did a successful surgery and sewed him up. And the hospital staff would, again, and the police, through a massive traffic jam as well, had just been amazing from start to finish. And by the time we got Oliver back to the sanctuary, we knew that he was going to live. And, and live on he did. He had four springs and four summers with us. And he was just the most beautiful, beautiful animal. Um, he could still be edgy. You know, he had to do anything, you know, like another health check. Or we had to sort of spray a wound that he had with some spray, topical spray. I think he would sometimes remember how he'd been hurt in the past. And he would swat out, you know, because it, it, he often, you know, I, I guess he just reverted. But at the same time, he just became such an incredible animal. Um, you know, he would walk out in the enclosure like I used to describe him as a wind-up toy because his mobility was was quite bad. And although we were helping his pain, um, we still couldn't completely help his mobility. So he had very bad arthritis, and he would just walk out quite strangely into the enclosure. But he bumbled along. He loved to go in his swimming pool. He loved to lie in the clover. Mm. Never forget that with his nose, the smell of the fresh nature around him. And he would love to play with all the toys that we had in the enclosure as well. And, and he loved to destroy things as well. My goodness, our bears are so destructive um, when, the, when they're in those playful and joyful moments. And he did. He destroyed everything he could. And we forgave him because we just adored him so much. And um, that was it, you know, for four years until we finally had to reach the decision. And we now today have something called Oliver's Army in recognition, in memory of this incredible bear that people can go online to our website at Animals Asia, um, onto our Facebook page, etc. And you can join on Oliver's Army because it's an empowering army of people that are helping us to end bear bar farming in Oliver's name. And just really, really quickly, the other bear is a bear in Vietnam uh, that I fell in love with called Kay. We rescued her a couple of years ago and her life on the farm had caused her immune system to completely crash. She was all but naked, so she had hardly any fur on her body. And the thing that I think upset me the most about this bear was that, you know, Moon bears have this beautiful yellow crescent on their chest, which is obviously reflective of the yellow crescent moon. And with Kay, because she was half naked, you couldn't see this crescent. And I, I just felt then it was such a tragedy and disgusting that bear farming had stripped this bear of her identity all those years ago. And um, 
She again, she had arthritis and mobility problems. She had um, bad eyes where her eyelids were thin um, and the eyelashes were um, obviously irritating her eyes. And, and she was just a complete mess. Oh, and she smelt very bad as well. Bless her heart. Just notice all these things. These things. Anyway, again, we got her back. We managed to quite quickly integrate her after our vet team had, you know, settled all of her issues. And she made best friends with two bears called Gloria and Autumn. And it was just the most joyous thing to see her snuggling up to these bears, bears that she hadn't known in the past, bears that she obviously came to attach to very, very quickly, in a, you know, symbolic partnership with these animals. And then finally to be led outside into the enclosure where she could enjoy pottering around as she loves to do and, and just sitting out there in the sunshine and being a bear for the first time in her life. And every bear, you know, this is just two stories. Every single individual, their recovery and their friendships and their, and their you know, just their life today at our sanctuary. And, and they give us fulfillment and so much joy. You talked about the um, forgiveness, that they forgive, they don't hold a grudge. Yeah. I mean, why should they forgive us? I, you know, I've often said it's only people like Mandela that show true forgiveness, I think. It's very hard to forgive when you've been so badly treated. Um, and yet clearly they do. You know, how could they, in the early days, tell the difference between us and the farmers? We're just people, you know, but my goodness, they respond to kindness. They respond to food. They respond to friends that they now have to play with. They respond to the beauty of their enclosures and the sunshine on their back and the water and the swimming pools that keeps them cool. And they just respond to every part of kindness that we can give those bears and, and we can see it in their eyes. Their eyes when they arrive are black, black with fear. It's almost indescribable, but they are fierce and they are aggressive, quite rightly. But then after a, a few days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, it, it, again, it's up to the individual bear how long it takes them through. Um, but you can see then that the eyes happen very definitely and the light coming into their eyes definitely. And then you know, when, when we have to give them medication, sometimes we, we hand feed them and, and you see how gently they purpose their lips to take the food from our fingers and, and that they obviously don't mean us any harm at all, you know, and, and even some of we have, uh, you know, a couple of training programs and I don't mean focus training, of course, I mean medical training. So we have one bear in Chengdu that our team have trained to take blood while he's conscious. He has kidney problems, so he requires quite regular taking of blood. But rather than doing an anaesthetic, our team spent a long time to train him to take his blood. And he loves it. Oh my goodness, he loves this process. You know, he gets the, the, the doors of the separating den, they open, so he runs from one den into another where there's a sleeve that immediately pops his arm straight through the sleep and then as he's getting distracted with you know with honey or um, condensed milk or something our vet nurse and our um, bear and vet team director they are shaking his, his arm 
they are putting alcohol on the arm, they are putting a hypodermic syringe into the arm, and they're taking blood. He doesn't even flinch. He doesn't even flinch. I, it is just the most incredible thing to see. And he's almost like at the end, he doesn't want it to finish because all he's doing is just slurping on this amazing food. Um, and then he gets the signal that it's done, that it's ended, and he gets a few more treats on the floor. And then that's it, and our team have got the blood. And we, all hang. we have to take them from their dens over to the hospital for a regular health check every two years. Again, cage training has to come into play. And how on earth do you encourage a bear to go back into a cage that resembles perhaps something that he's been incarcerated on at a bear bar farm for 10, 20, 30 years of his own life? Again, that's another astonishing example, I think, of the remarkable sense of trust and forgiveness that they have. Every time I hear you, I feel pretty much silenced. One of the things that I've noticed here at Earthfire so we have many species here, they're all native to the Rocky Mountains. So we have bears and wolves and cougars and other animals native. And the fundamental thing, if you get rid of the fear, is the sweetness, the, the underlying sweetness. That's one of the things that I'm so driven to share. One of the reasons I was so, many reasons, but one of the reasons I was so attracted to your work, to, to share the sweetness of animals that we don't see because of our prejudices or fear. And then what it is that we miss, but what utter beauty is there for us with the sweetness of the beings around us. So misguided. And uh, I just want to join forces with anyone who helps us see that. It's just, it's such a, it's a silly phrase really, but it's such a win-win to see and share the beauty and the companionship and the things that they teach you, the forgiveness, the fact that in spite of all of those years, they're still able to be responsive. They've not numbed themselves down. They're still alive in there. It's all so poignantly terrible and beautiful. But really, that's the essence of life anyway. It's terrible and beautiful. Yeah. I completely agree, Susan. And I think, you know, again, they are such good teachers. And that's what is, you know, that's what they're doing, reaching out to millions of people in China and Vietnam. You know, they are true ambassadors in every sense of the word. Because when people come to see them, you know, they recognize that they are different to how they perhaps read about bears in textbooks, that they are to be frightened, you know, um, because of, you know, I don't, I don't know, how, how they can behave in the forest or, you know. But again, how they behave in the forest is often so down to us, down to the human species that have made them so afraid of us and yeah. uh, that we're working on their habitat yeah. now so, so badly in every country in which they live. And that's no different in China and Vietnam. But at least the bears give us who really can be and how individual they can be and, and how we should protect them for their own sake rather than how they can benefit humankind. I have a bear here called Huckleberry Bear Bear. He's a black bear. And when we got him, we had, there were two bear brothers, Major Bear and Huckleberry Bear Bear. And Major Bear got really ill. But first, they, they were really close. They would actually sleep together with their arms around each other during hibernation time. And, you know, Major Bear would steal Huckleberry's ice cream. But other than that, they were really close. And then Major Bear got ill. And we did everything we could. 
um, but he passed away and we didn't really know what to do other than, you know, continue to give the best life we could to, to Huckleberry. And then we had some students come here and they were here for three weeks and they were art students and one for some reason wanted to sit in front of the enclosure where the Huckleberry was and is and just sit there to, I guess, to study him, to draw him. She wasn't clear. This is this little hippy-dippy dancer costume girl from Los Angeles who came as, as part of an art student thing and she just sat there and suddenly tears started rolling down her face and she had no idea why. And then she heard in her head, I miss my brother. And she said, this is really weird. I don't have a brother. And then she just kept on feeling sadness and sadness. And then she felt his sadness and said that she'd come back every single day as long as she was there. And then that evening, we have campfires and that's when people talk about things that they might be embarrassed to talk about during the day. And she said, um, did Huckleberry have a brother? And we said, yes. And she turned pale because that bear was communicating its sorrow to a human being. And she was just so open, unexpected. She knew nothing about animals or it just arrived. It completely changed her understanding of the world. So it's not just that they teach the sweetness and the forgiveness, it's that they're actually capable of, we all are, but capable of connecting on that kind of level. He communicated it to her. To me, that is just so astounding. And just another reason to honor every living thing. We have no idea what their capacities are. Yeah, there are. There's things that you just can't explain and you just have to accept. You know, we've, we've seen a lot, we've seen a lot. We, we used to have a bear called Jasper that was in a crush cage for 15 years on a bear bile farm. And he lived with us for another 15 years. Um, and it seemed that every time we had a funeral for the bears that had died, every time we came back from the funeral and we always passed house two where Jasper was, was living, every time we passed house two, he would, for some inexplicable reason, be sitting at the fence line. He would generally always be there and it was like, wow, you know, it, it just inexplicable. This beautiful connection's possible if only we were able to tune in. There may be some questions for people want to ask soon, but before we do that, I would like you to share the profound success you've had because this started with one bear reaching out to you and now things are changing in China and Vietnam and the number of bears you've saved. And I would love you just to share your accomplishments a little bit. Well, goodness me, it really has, it's been quite a journey, Susan. Um, so I think the most exciting news is that last July in Vietnam, the Vietnam government invited us to a press conference with them to announce to the world that together we would collaborate to finally bring bear bar farming to an end by the year 2022. So, you know, it, it, we, we arrived in that country, I arrived in that country in the late 1990s um, when bear bile farming wasn't even really known. So, you know, it, it, the challenges that I even articulate today. 
but you know since building the sanctuary since working with the government since working with other ngos in that country things have really really fallen into place and we're extremely proud of where we are today and we're extremely proud of our relationship with the government that has seen their absolute determination to ending bear bile farming again within the next four years um I mean, our programs don't just stop there. We've got programs that, you know, obviously help dogs and cats move towards the day when cats and dogs will no longer be seen as food for the table. Um, and again, through programs that show how much we benefit with dogs and cats in society, especially with the dogs and programs like Professor Again, just show this remarkable unconditional love that they bring into our lives that turns into a, a healing process as well and papers you know as we all know scientific papers back that up and you don't need a scientific paper you just need a dog and a 10 year old boy to prove that it's as simple as that and it's why i started it all those years like goodness me 27 years ago now um we also have amazing programs um, for captive animals run by Dave Neal, our animal welfare director. And this again is just working with the zoo community, for example, in a program that I, I admit I struggled with in the early days. But, you know, there are bad zoos and there are relatively good zoos. And, you know, I think more and more zoos across the world are beginning to recognize that it is in their interest to take in rescued animals not to always be so so focused on having a pure species but you know and, and and a complete species but to have animals that have you know suffered in trade and bring those into your um into your community your zoo community so that the public can learn more about not just about that animal but about the, the practices that injure those animals and, and, and lead them on the road to extinction. So Dave and his team are doing fantastic programs in the zoo communities um, in China and Vietnam in the hope that the more trust we build up with the zoo directors, we can start talking with them about animals that are utterly inappropriate for a captive environment. So like elephants and the big cats and indeed I believe bears, unless it's a rescue situation. And I must pay enormous tribute to someone called um, um, Ron Kagan of Detroit Zoo, who ended the keeping of elephants at his zoo uh, for exhibition, purely on the basis of compassion, purely for, for compassionate reasons, because he felt that, animal, that elephants were not appropriate for a captive environment. And, um, and I think other zoos are recognizing this particular concept and I hope that that notion will expand, extend more into the zoo community as we have sanctuaries for bears and give them the best of the wild as we can under a captive environment. You know, you can see more zoos actually doing this across the world and we can only encourage this more. Is there anything you can suggest to people about what they can do wherever they are? Absolutely. You know, you have a voice. And, and as you said before, Susan, you know, one voice can make all the difference. And, you know, especially when you go to zoos or circuses where they're using uh, animals in entertainment in our day and age, you know, what are people in circuses learning from looking at a tiger other than the shape and the size and the color of that animal, rather than the rich tapestry of how they live their lives in the wild? 
So, you know, vote with your feet. Don't go to zoos and circuses that have wild animals as entertainment. You know, obviously, I think, look, we're moving towards a world that is absolutely suffocating by our footprint. And, you know, it's just not sustaining what we are trying to leach out of this earth. And I think, you know, one of those obviously is the food that we put in our mouths. The fact that so many billions and billions of animals are dying for, for our stomachs um, when we just don't need this volume of meat. So, you know, to look at more holistically at a vegetarian or a vegan diet, even just one or two days a week, is going to help this, this planet so, so much. It will certainly help your own health and, of course, will help the welfare animals as well. Look at what cosmetics we put on our face. You know, look at the ingredients. They have to state if they're tested on animals. Refuse those that are just by sheer weight of the fact that we should not be using and abusing animals in this way. My goodness, a, a whole host of, of things, again, that that we just look around us, obviously adopting animals. Don't buy pedigree animals. If you've got a dog or a cat, or if you do want a pedigree animal, go to your local shelter where they will inevitably have some as well. But, you know, adopt from shelters that are drowning in rescued animals from the pet trade as well. Just don't buy from pet shops. It's, there's so many things we can do. And, and I think inherently we know it. We know it, but sometimes it's just easier to get on the lives and not, not look into the eyes of animals that we know are suffering. Paying attention also to where the food comes from. I remember Cindy Milburn, who was at that same conference, where they were talking about um, the welfare of our farm animals and how they were shipping sheep crammed together in boats. I think it was to Indonesia that was increasing its um, taste for meat. And she said, and it was so poignant, somehow, I don't see if I can imitate how she said it. She said, this is the only life each of those animals is ever going to have. Absolutely. Cindy is wonderful. I've known Cindy for many, many years, back from my I4 days. And she, I remember that presentation as well. She was amazing. And um, it, it is the same philosophy as, as well for Animals Asia. We, 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 we say one life. It's all about our one life and we fiercely, all of us, whatever species we are, we fiercely protect our one life and we want to live it in the, in, in the, most, um, in the most peaceful and enriching and happy way that we can. And yet as a human species, we prevent that time and time again for other species to be able to live their lives how they would wish to live their lives. I just saw a film yesterday about the dairy industry again you know that obviously female cows are, are perpetually bred so that they have milk for us to drink as the only species that drinks the milk of another species for goodness sake and so the calves are taken away at just a few days of age sometimes just a few hours of age from that lactating cow who is giving that milk then to us and the film that I saw yesterday was heartbreaking heartbreaking of both the cow the mother and the calf crying as the calf was put into a cage on a truck and driven off and looking at his mother as she was farther and farther away as he was driven off to slaughter i i i just how can we reconcile this in ourselves how can we 
and what it does to us, I think it goes out, not that you're talking about the really vivid, specific moment of that baby and its mother. But I think the pain of that goes out into the atmosphere. And I think it goes around the whole world, all the suffering, and that we pick it up on some level and that all of us are hurt by that. <laughs> in, in some way, there's a, a dissonance and an unhappiness in, in, about about the cruelty and the suffering. And any time we can ease any of it, we're adding something different into the atmosphere. And from my point of view, that's one thing we can do. There are the specific things you said, which are important, and there are many more. We don't have time to go into them. But there's also the energy of compassion that, that we're adding in to counteract the other energy. And again, that's for all humans. We all suffer, I think, from the cruelty that's in the atmosphere without even knowing it. Another thing I think about often is it's um, not, not necessarily female. You're a female and I am. It's not necessarily female, but it's the feminine principle that is so aware of the value of life. Men can have it or not have it, or there are women without it too, but what, whatever we can do to encourage that element of, of caring, of, of nurturing life rather than destroying life, which is essentially the feminine principle. So everything you say to me is 100% clear immediately. I don't know how much it pulls at everyone's heartstrings to know a baby's being taken away from its mother. The caring of the bond between mother and child or father and child, it can be too. But it's that caring, nurturing of life versus destroying life. How, however, we can foster that. And the, and the trauma from many generations that makes us so numb that we can do those things. And then the incredible beauty of, of if you show people the, the, the sweetness and the responsiveness, it's like they're enlightened in the sense of light. A light goes on. And that's very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It's, it's, it's what we see all the time at the Whereas, and, it, and it's again how much the bears help that um, accelerate as they do with our staff, you know, with new staff coming in. So just the wonder working with this, this incredible species of, of moon bears, brown bears, sun bears that we work with in both countries. You know, just seeing how they can reach out, if you like, to our staff and just completely captivate them and bring them in to understanding. Would you tell the story of um, a bear you rescued from, I think it was a family farm, and then they came to visit? Oh, sure. Yeah, that, that was a, goodness, that was a, two bears called Emma and Caesar. And they've been nine years on the bear bile farm in Tianjin, in the north of China. And the bear farmer and his wife were very elderly, and they wanted to give up their bears. So, of course, we took them. And... Uh, a long journey by road again um and we got them back safely and you know we got them through and they lived for many many years very happily at the sanctuary and it was several years later that the farmer and his wife wanted to come and visit and um, it, it was it was incredible because it you know again it's quite easy to want to hate people like this that have been so obviously cruel to these animals before but I, all I can remember is that, you know, the farmer and his wife 
as soon as they walked into the sanctuary and they both cried and they both realized the contrast between how they kept their bears in these tiny white cages and how their bears today were enjoying, you know, huge, great grassy enclosures um, in the natural environment. And, and the, the man just said at one point, thank you for looking after my bears. And, and our Chinese staff said at the time, that's his way of apologizing. That's his way of saying something. It's just stuck with me ever since. That's one of the most profound things to me, both of so many that you do, which is bring out the good in people and bears. You're not anti-people. Um, you see the beauty in people, you try and bring out the good in them and they respond. It's, that's to me is what works in the end. And you're just such a great example of that. I think we're, we're, we're close to ending. Is there anything final you'd like to say before we do? Well, I mean, as you're transmitting out of America, Susan, first of all, I'd, I'd love to say thank you to our team there, our amazing team headed up by Paula um, of Animals Asia. Um, they're, they're all there. I think Maya's listening in as well. So they're all there and Kay's probably listening in and they're all there to help um, with any questions you might have. Please reach out to them um, at our office. Um, you can just go onto our website at Animals Asia and get all their contact details. Um, and I want to thank supporters as well um, in the USA. We've got fantastic support groups there who have followed us for many, many, many years and have put on fine events you know, to fundraise for the bears and our other programs. And I just love coming over and, and meeting up with you again. It's, it's too rare. We see each other so rarely, but it's just like meeting up with the family again. And I just want to say publicly, thank you all for everything you do to help Animals Asia, to help the animals here. And, and last but not least, I thank you, Susan, and thank you for your amazing work, for your foundation that really shines the spotlight on, you know, our harmony with nature and how we should be looking at animals in the wild. So bless you and thank you for that too. And bless you in return. <laughs> so people interested in Jill's work, it's animalsasia.org. If they're interested in my work, it's earthfireinstitute.org. Lovely to speak with you, Jill, and thank you for the beauty you bring to the world and thank you for the bears the spirit you share so beautifully thank you Susan back at you <laughs> thank you very much and take care take care bye-bye <laughs>